Welcome to the Intesa San Paolo Talks. Hello and welcome to another episode in our Intesa San Paolo Talks podcast series on the Italian way to a circular economy. In this series, we've talked a lot about practical things that companies and communities are doing to become more circular. In this episode, we're going to go a little further and look at how a fresh, creative approach to how we design not just the things around us, but our lives as well, is an essential part of becoming more circular. And we're going to do that with the help of the Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design, an organisation that educates, researches and incubates ideas around innovative products, services and environments. It was co-founded and is run by Simona Maskey, And we can talk to her now. Hello, Simona. Thank you very much for being here for us. Hello. Let's start with a a simple question. What is interaction design? (laughs) Um, Interaction design, it's the practice of designing interactions enabled by digital technologies. It could be interactions between people and people, between people and machines, and also between machines and machines. Uh, CID which stands for Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design, was funded in 2006. And we mostly operate as an ecosystem uh, with three main activities across uh, learning and training, uh, strategy in collaborations with private and public organizations, but also incubation programs. And right now we operate in two locations. We uh, are based in Copenhagen, Denmark, but also in Costa Rica. Why Costa Rica? (laughs) Uh, why Costa Rica? Of course, it's an interesting question. Yeah, a couple of years ago, CD started a transition towards like a, um, becoming more, not just aware, but also more active in the context of generating value, not just for people, but also the planet. And as Copenhagen has served as a fantastic place from which to tell the story of design about the practice that creates uh, value in people's life and improves the quality of life and, and everything. We believe that Costa Rica has the potential to help lifting our profiling activities from being people-centered into being life-centered, where we take into account the life of all the ecosystems around people. And that's why Costa Rica is an interesting place from which to develop this new expertise, because uh, Costa Rica is uh, home to... of the biodiversity of the world is the country in the world with uh, some of the most progressive um, sustainability policies at the governmental level. And and how big a part does the idea of the circular economy play within that whole sustainability piece for you? Uh, So the idea of circularity is quite uh, predominant and important in, in the way we think and in the way we operate. And actually, we are in a learning process ourselves with uh, this new establishment in Costa Rica, where we work closely with experts in uh, biomimicry and biology to integrate our different approaches. Life has been evolving for approximately uh, 4 billion years, 3.8 billion years. Uh, so nature has been prototyping regenerative systems for you know, ever since. So as human beings, we have a lot to learn from it. And um, we believe that uh, nature can be a mentor in uh, in the way we make decisions again about how to serve humanity, how to create products and services, but also especially how to set up organizations and business models and how to operate in general. 
So how does that work in in practice? You know, I mean, I can understand that as a philosophy, uh, but but you know, in terms of when you're designing systems or things or whatever in a circular way, how how does that turn itself into into sort of practical applications? Probably the most simple element to look at, just as an example, is the fact that in nature nothing is wasted. So anything that is a waste in one system becomes a nutrient for another system and so on. And so, so it's literally about looking at those dynamics and use them as mentors uh, for informing our decisions. And when, but when you're sort of applying all that into sort of real world type of stuff, you're sort of asking, you know, this this whole move to a circular economy is 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 a big change for human beings, you know, for consumers or users, perhaps. Uh, and I'm in, I'm always interested in how how you get people to start to change their thinking so fundamentally from using stuff or consuming stuff to using stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a, what you just described is actually, I would say, the role of design in general, right? I mean, creating value in in people's life and now also we say in respect of the environment and the planet and design is important because designers have this ability to think creatively and this creative thinking can now be used not just to shape the solutions but also and i would say especially to redesign the problems and the challenges we need to work on so creative thinking applied more to the problem setting and not only to the problem solving another key characteristic of the design practice is this ability to simply visualize and envision futures that don't exist yet. Uh, That's typical of uh, a creative mind, a designer, an artist who can sketch and and literally visualize realities and behaviors and products and services that are not uh, in in the world yet. And this is very important, this idea of visualizing futures to make it easier for the key stakeholders to actually buy into them and get excited about those futures is very important. Um, Another important aspect is that within uh, the design activity, we have uh, the prototyping phase, right? And in the idea of moving towards a more circular, circular future and businesses especially, it's very important because the prototyping process enable all the stakeholders from the consumers, you know, the customers, the, the producers, anyone who is part of the value chain that, uh, of this new concept to actually take part into the development of the new concept. So by prototyping, people who come from different backgrounds, who have different agenda, can actually co-create and shape together solutions that were not imaginable before. This sense of ownership and commitment is crucial to deliver, you know, at the end of the innovation process and make sure that the new idea of the product or the service doesn't stop at the phase of being an invention, but becomes real innovation by being implemented in the real world. That process that you're describing just at the end there, that that sounds like it's quite circular in itself. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and that's spot on, actually, because... The creative thinking has not been the problem. Uh, Many of the solutions and ideas are already out there. But the implementation, the execution is the barrier. And why is that? Obviously, it's because different stakeholders, organizations, whether it's private sector or public sector, have different agendas and different uh, strategies. And they have um, a way to think of themselves as sometimes, you know, the only 
kind of actor in, in that future, in that narrative. And one thing is pretty clear, at least to me, that uh, the challenges we need to solve to create more sustainable and more circular ecosystems cannot be solved by individual stakeholders, so whether it's a company, a municipality, or even a, a national government. They require a multi-stakeholder approach to create innovation, and especially like a, a multi-stakeholder decision-making. So you're right, actually. It's a, it's a decision-making process where there is no waste, meaning also that in a, in a, in a way everyone should be happy with the, with the value generated over the process. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's, it, you know, if, if from the outside, if somebody said you know, the, the Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design and the word design, people would perhaps automatically think about designing products, you know, a chair or a car or a what, whatever. But but it sounds from what you're saying that actually, for the sort of the sustainable change, if you like, towards towards circularity, it's design of systems which is more fundamental than design of products. Yeah, and ultimately goes back to actually the fact that, um, as you said, you know, uh, design is known to be more of a practice to design a chair, a lamp, a product, often associated with the idea of making those products beautiful. So very focused on the aesthetics and the function, um, whether it's, you know, um, an aesthetic that make people attracted to it because they simply look beautiful or also an aesthetic that has to do more with the function and they're so easy to use that you just want to have them. And so paradoxically, that role of the designers to design aesthetics has not changed. But now the aesthetics are moving from the, the beauty of a product, the tangible artifact, the material, the way it feels, the way you, you use it, to the aesthetics of a system, to the aesthetics of an experience in life. And it's still a design activity. It's still about designing futures that people are attracted to. And actually, I'm probably, you know, I'm born quite optimistic. Uh, and I believe that designing products and services that embed in themselves, like a more circular thinking, is going to create experiences for people that are amazing, that people would want to have in their life, that people would want to share with their friends and family and kids, that people will be proud of. The Intesa San Paolo Talks. We're talking at, a, at an extraordinary time uh, globally, obviously, with the, with the pandemic and the, the whole coronavirus crisis. Do, do you think that what we are living through now will, will long-term, forever, change the way we think the way we live towards a more circular economy i i believe so and it's interesting because obviously the the forced uh, lockdown has engineered at the household level and condominium level and neighborhood level and and city level new ways of uh, creating more circular systems in our life you know from the food to um, clothes to anything that has to do with our everyday. It's quite interesting to see. As, as, a C, as CID, we launched a survey about a month ago asking uh, people about their life during the pandemic and especially asking what kind of new habits they have adopted and also which kind of new habits they have adopted that they would love to continue uh, and sustain also in uh, in the future, regardless of the pandemic. And 
And many, many of the statements had to do with the reduction of waste and becoming so aware about the amount of waste that they would normally produce on a daily basis and how little time is taken to actually better manage or reduce that waste at the household level. And of course, food being one of the most predominant topic in the in the, in, in this, uh, in this uh, context. So the idea that when you're forced to do the grocery, maybe once a week, the way you relate to the food, the way you cook it, the way you save it, the way you reuse it, and, uh, and you look at the waste with the new eyes and also especially by giving to it new value, right? So uh, we shouldn't just wait for the perfect policy to, to come into place. We shouldn't wait for the right uh, new taxation system to make it easier for companies to become circular. It's not going to be a top-down approach only. It will mostly be a bottom-up approach where it's a responsibility of everyone to, once again, to decide which products to buy and especially how to spend your time at work. Uh, in regards to make a more circular future. How different will our lives be? What will a circular, a fully circular economy look like uh, in 10, 20 years' time, do you think? <laughs> well, I wish I had the answer, right? But uh, I hope and I imagine it will be uh, probably quite different setting and infrastructure when I think of cities, when I think of the way we work and especially we, we move and and uh, we feed ourselves. I think what needs to change fundamentally, well, uh, quite a few things, you know, from policy making to probably new financial uh, uh, dynamics and, and mechanisms. Um, and when we come to that, probably, I don't know, now I'm talking to... Uh, in Teza San Paolo and, and in general, I think for financial institutions, it's important to um, start experimenting uh, with systems where the economic value is coming not only from the value created in the markets uh, and normally assessed through the stock exchange, but creating a way to look at value as something that also to, has also to do with the way we are integrated with nature and uh, with the natural resources around us. I don't know if it's possible to move into a paradigm where um, the value is once again assessed versus versus this assessed versus this integration. Uh, imagine a situation where you know the the stock exchange is replaced by uh, a system that not only assesses the value on the market of specific shares, but also maybe assess the value, the economic value, based on how much waste we create or we don't create on a specific day or a specific month and so on. So I, I don't know exactly how the future will look like, but definitely some radically new financial mechanisms are needed to to get there. And because it, it, you know, the, the, the fundamental question, I guess, and I've probably asked it already, but I'll ask it again, is, you know, I, and I, I buy, I accept that the idea that that all the stakeholders have to work on this together, but actually, someone has to lead that. Somebody has to drive that. And and is that is that going to be uh, advocates like you, or uh, organisations like banks, or, or businesses in the system, or in the, or is it going to be end users, customers, in the end, that does the driving? One of the most critical, actually, in, in rethinking the ecosystems as circular is to actually draw the boundaries of those systems. How far do we want to go? What is the system that we can actually reinvent and control? So for example, if you took, I don't know, mobility as a topic, 
um, are we talking about the redesign of the car? Are we talking about the redesign of the car service, the ecosystem of the car plus a service like car sharing? Are we rethinking the mobility at the level of the city, of the region, of the state? Um, so I'm just trying to say that maybe more than uh, one single act, you know, following one single agenda with one single leader is more about identifying manageable systems that align stakeholders can actually control in terms of like redesigning value for and actually execute on them. And, and uh, Simona, a, a last thought, and I, you've already said you're an optimist, so I suspect I know the answer to this, but are you confident that we're going to get there in time? I like to think that we will. Often in, uh, in these kind of discussions and situations, you know, you end up realizing at some point that you are in a bubble, right? And that uh, we end up talking to people that probably are kind of aligned or already sharing a lot of the values, the ethics and, and the ideas. And, and so it's easy to imagine that we are in, uh, to, to create alignment and to believe in a future together. But, you know, as you probably, maybe that's also where some of your not so optimistic approach <laughs> is originated from. I mean, we know that uh, globally we we have a lot of uh, gaps and differences and and um, economically, politically, um, also ethically, we have very, very different realities. So my worry, if when I'm not optimistic, probably is about thinking that the action that we need and, and the achievements we need to um, look at uh, by 2030 uh, probably will uh, I, I don't know, I'm not sure that everyone will be as aligned as uh, as we should be You'll just have to keep working specially hard then to, to keep us on the right track. Uh, Simona, thank you very much indeed for your time That's Simona Maskey, the co-founder and CEO of the Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design. That's it for this episode of the Intesa San Paolo Talks, the Italian way to a circular economy. If you've enjoyed it and want to hear more, then please subscribe to us using your usual podcast provider. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Intesa San Paolo Talks, presented by Guy Ruddle.